Good afternoon. I'm Claudia Shambaugh welcoming you to the September 7, 2017 edition of Real People of Orange County. I'm filling in once again for Kimberly Martin. Today my guests are three middle school teachers at South County Middle School, South Rancho Santa Margarita, Lisa Tita, Petra Johnson, and Linda Whitmore, all colleagues at that campus. As they offer a look under their classroom's hoods, they'll discuss student resistance to the climate science material in the curriculum, how they as teachers are managing this, and what's in store for the future. With the extreme weather in 2017, the elephant in the classroom is getting some company. We'll be right back, so stay tuned, okay? Welcome back to the show. Last spring at a forum convened in my uh, nearby University Hills was as a forum entitled Talking About Science in the Age of Trump. I met two of my guests there. They talked after the forum about uh, some situations going down in their classrooms. And I thought, wow, we've got to take that to our, our little public affairs forum here on the campus. That Lisa, Tita, and and Linda Whitmore were there, and joining them in studio with me is also Petra Johnson. First, a little thumb sketch of each of them. Lisa Tita, who hails from Pennsylvania, has been teaching mainly seventh grade, a little sixth grade, for the last 20 years, two in Pittsburgh, two in LA Unified, and the remainder in our fair Orange County. Lisa completed her teaching credential from University of Pittsburgh in middle school science and her master's of science in marketing from Penn State University. Petra Davis, a product of Orange County, attended schools in the Orange and Tustin Unified districts. She completed her bachelor's of science at UCI and her master's in educational administration from Cal State Fullerton. Petra's been teaching for 27 years, all in middle school, seventh and eighth grade science. Linda Whitmore, you're a native of where? That's a little missing piece. Oh, Hawaii. She's Linda Whitmore is a native of Hawaii. She earned her bachelor's of science in in and her minor in chemistry and her secondary teaching credential at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Linda's also completed a master's of arts in education and middle school curriculum from Cal State University in San Bernardino. She's been 28 years teaching middle school science and 14 years in a clinical laboratory as a clinical medical technologist in hematology, blood bank, and bacteriology in a large Orange County hospital. Lynn has also contributed for years as a volunteer in an elementary science lab setting up and teaching elementary science curriculum. I think we're presenting a pretty robust gathering of veteran pedagogues in science and they all join me in studio. Welcome to real people of Orange County, Lisa Tita, Petra Davis, and Linda Whitmore. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was that was Petra, and we're gonna we're gonna for a few times before everybody gets used to their voices, we're gonna have them introduce themselves so we can mark them. So briefly, and we can start with Lisa. Briefly, tell us how each of you got into this profession. Lisa? Oh, that's kind of a tough one. I think I've always been interested in biology and just at some point decided I want to get my teaching credential and ended up, it was a good thing to move with. So I've always been interested in being in teaching science, especially. Always. Okay. Dedicated to the proposition. Petra? 
Well, I'm a product of educators. Both my parents were teachers, and my mother taught for 30 plus years. My dad, after getting out of the Marine Corps, was after he was in the Marine Corps for 25 years, um, taught for an additional 18 years at a continuation high school in Orange County, and so came to UCI to get to go actually pre-vet. I was headed to UC Davis and came across a seminar. Pre-veterinary, as opposed to like veteran, correct? Pre-veterinarian and. was going to, you know, go get my doctorate and came across a seminar and teaching just hit and it stuck. So I've been in the classroom for 27 years. Ever since? Yeah. Linda. Um, I kind of fell in love with it in middle school and I had an amazing science teacher who did all these really fun hands-on kinds of activities and he hooked me. And from there, uh, when I went to Cal Poly, it was very hands-on kinds of learning. I also was thinking of you know, something different, maybe pre-med, and uh, went into medical technology for a while and fell back into teaching. Okay. And I love it. As, you, as we were talking in your bio, mm-hmm. how many sorts of lab and right. other science-based settings. That right. And the clinical work that I did, I think, has helped me because I've worked outside of teaching, and I kind of see how science applies in the real world and have those experiences that students love hearing about. And so, and you'll refer to that yes. when you're in, in your curriculum. Okay. Well, now I think we a little familiarity there. So I'd like for you to describe your middle school in Rancho Santa Margarita, a little bit about the demographics, I think, so we can all get a, a little idea about this, this particular classroom settings here. Well, we're predominantly this a... Petra. Yes, we're predominantly a you know, white students, um, if we were going to do demographics, um, we have a small minority population, but we live near gated communities and we live, we have students coming from lower income housing at the same time. So we have a spectrum, um, but probably not as diverse as some of our listeners may have experienced in their own educational setting. I don't know what else I would... I did a little looking around. The median household income is, get this, 128... thousand three hundred and one bucks but so that's that's a pretty high median mm-hmm. that wouldn't surprise in, me and it's in an in, unincorporated area so it's not in a municipality it's part of the county correct mm-hmm. okay correct. and I think it's in the 49th congressional district we, we may get back to that Daryl Isis district I'm I, pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure you're, right. you're correct yes okay mm-hmm. so that may come up at some point in terms of sort of demographic parts but so um, anything else about the demographics there are they uh, did they come to you homeschooled a lot of them? Or do you, I mean, I don't know if you can track that kind of a thing. We, that, that's from left field. But Occasionally we do have students that come into the middle school where they've been in through their elementary. They've been homeschooled, but getting ready to go into high school, middle sc- our middle school is kind of a jumping off point, getting them okay. used to it, being into larger crowds mm-hmm. in, with classrooms and changing teachers. Mm-hmm. So we will get not a lot, but we do get some school, some homeschoolers. And how big a classroom? Uh, what's the av- what's the largest and the smallest size of classrooms? Now we you've just Depends got on about the year. three. <laughs> so this year you're you're what three three days into the quarter? Oh the, no, into three or three weeks three in. Weeks. You're th- oh, see, I'm way out of touch. Yes. Sorry. Three weeks in. Three weeks in. So like this this semester, how many are roughly in your classes? How many have? To I would pull? say around thirty two, thirty three. And do you have enough class. furniture for that many? Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, we do. It, lab space, can, it can get a little crowded in the lab situation, but chairs and desks, yeah, definitely. And this, I, actually, tell me 
how are, are they good at showing up right bef- right when the bell rings and do they do that frenetic pack up number before school's ac- the class is actually finished they try they try and you you legislate otherwise well we like them to work bell to bell you know if we can do you ha- do you have to s- you say that oh we do yes absolutely and remind them right because they're used to doing that in the other classes mm-hmm. where it's maybe not legislated as as clearly we do that, but these kids also are there, and they, they, they come from families that really value education, and okay. they all think that they're going to be going on to college, and so they're, they know that, they, that they're there to learn, and so we really don't have a, that much of a problem with them. Oh, that's good. I know that always. Yes, Petra? I was just going to say the expectation really for our students is four years, four years of college, you know, four years high school, and they're going to go to college. There's really no other mindset for them. Not that, the military, that, which is not that far away. Generally, no. no. I mean, okay. they, their, their focus is college. Okay. And that's the, that's the parents' focus. That's the students' right. focus. And they're, they're already deciding that in seventh, mm-hmm. you know, sixth, mm-hmm. seventh grade. They know where they want to go. Okay. All right. Good. So let's jump in to the curriculum here. Uh, now, there's what's on the roster. I, I know you, I didn't ask you to bring your plan books in, in Studio A with me, but what do, you, what do you have to cover this year? In sixth grade. This I'll, is Lisa. I'll, I'll speak to the sixth grade curriculum. In sixth grade, we will be learning about, we will cover weather and climate and according to the California state standards, um, we at the end of the year, we will cover human impact on climate and, and how humans are responsible for, um, for climate change. At and the end. At you, the you introduce, end. You, you're going to earlier on bring up earth, uh, the climate and all that, or is that when you bring up climate, you'll talk about the human impact? Well, it's we do an integrated model of science, mm-hmm. and so we will be talking about weather near near Christmas time, and at that point, they'll learn the science concepts behind weather and oh, how okay. all of that works, so that by the time we get to climate and climate change, they will have already understood the science behind it, so it's not a jump. It's not like we're lecturing to them about something we're teaching them the science first okay Mm -hmm. linda um and then in seventh it's really picking up because again it's integrated so it's kind of spiraling up through the curriculum there'll be more aspects of it and what's new with this new next generation science standards is there's more environmental education than there was previously and as lisa said there's a lot more emphasis on human impact solutions um you know all aspects of things like that. So we're, we're talking more about ecology in seventh grade, but that certainly would be impacted by something like climate change, loss of diversity and so forth. I mean, and I, I didn't get, let Lisa finish all of the areas. You only mentioned the climate and the, let's see, and some environmentalists, but there's, are, I want for you to give us a whole, what you've got to do. You got to run through this whole year with all the things that you've got to cover. Or So let's, I'll give you a, all a chance to talk about what you have to cover. And and a comparison of how receptive students are is going to be of concern in our time together today. Well, uh, we'll begin in sixth in grade, sixth grade uh, teaching cells. Um, we'll also be talking about uh, energy, thermal energy, so they'll begin to understand molecular motion. Uh, we do cover weather, 
trying to think of the other things and then climate at the end. So those are the major things that we are going to be covering. So it's integrated between life and earth and physical sciences. So we're going to be hitting a little bit of everything. So the elements and then like the whole systems in Exactly. Six, mm -hmm. sixth grade is about systems. Okay. It's about human body systems, weather systems, anything systems is what we cover in sixth grade. Okay. And then seventh is more energy flowing and the cycles of energy and matter flowing in and out. So again, it kind of comes up, uh, climate would, would certainly come up in seventh grade as well. And that when will the climate also be a matter of later on in the year? Well, and we're covering chemistry, so we're starting to talk about things like the carbon cycle. So um, it would come up definitely in something like that, the water cycle, all the different cycles. And then later we're getting into um, the environment. So we're looking at ecosystems, biomes, and a loss of diversity. But they're, they also the focus is on solutions. So we're, we're not only just talking about what the problems are, but what are some solutions that we can come up to with to the problems that we currently have? Okay. That's, by the way, Catherine Hayhoe does that really well, mm. the climate scientist from Texas. She's an evangelical, and she always starts her discussions with solutions, and that's mm -hmm. where everybody's on board, and then she mm -hmm. moves back uh -huh. and explains that. So we'll, we'll make sure everybody has that kind of thing. So, and Petra, did you want to add what else uh, kind of curriculum? Well, with... Right now, with our the way science is being taught, we're in transition years with the new next generation science standards. So we're looking okay. from we're looking at what our California state standards were, have been They've and been rolled out and yep. yeah and they and we're moving towards the next generation science standards. So there is some overlap that's happening and transition. So for eighth grade, we're still with forces in motion. Um, we're talking a little bit about trying to get students to think about how dinosaurs were impacted by the asteroid. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a woven in integrated system. And so we will eventually get to human impact on our environment. It's like almost as a culminating event in eighth grade. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, I'm Claudia Shambaugh, guest hostess today for Real People of Orange County. My guests are Lisa Tita, Petra Johnson, Linda Whitmore, all three middle school science teachers in an unincorporated middle school in Rancho San Margarita area of Orange County. And we're talking about, well, we haven't gotten to the elephant in the classroom, but we are talking about the curriculum on the desktop. That's what we'll do that. So, and, well, let's, I don't, did you have anything more to say about what's, going on there are, are they so far all the little synapses are all firing and everybody or is, it's a hot classroom though right it's hot right now <laughs> it's very hot it's, right it's now. hotting <laughs> up yeah so but you've got their attention are they, you getting good questions I mean let's let's what what's the year opener with the what's coming back at you from the students uh, right now they're very interested in the hurricanes and they're so they're, they're asking they're very They've much moved they're the curriculum very, up. yes they're ex very interested and it's nice because it's a real-time event, and it's going to bring up a lot of different topics, just taking a look at that. Do they, ever, do they think, like, right now while they're in the classroom, there's, there's two hurricanes and a third one backing up? I mean, they think it's now happening, mm -hmm. and then the disaster aspect is the cleanup and all that later. But, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, that's sort of what, okay, so the split screen of it all. And other, Lisa or Petro, the kinds of student engagement you have so far and 
and uh, and are the who's asking are the boys and girls is it easy to balance calling on them or do you find yourselves tending to call on one over the other i think it's pretty easy you, is it yeah definitely. that's reassuring There's, to hear you never hear it used to be where girls would be a little bit more intimidated to be in a, in a science classroom but i don't find that at all anymore usually they're the ones taking charge so it's it's quite enlightening um, but it's interesting because the kids are interested in what's going on in the world around them and asking questions um, I did have a student ask if I did believe in climate change how did they ask that they just asked I asked if they had any questions about myself I gave them a little bit of uh, at the beginning of the year I'll do a bio a background of myself with them and I asked them if I they have any other questions for me about me about what they're going to be learning in class and I for the first time I had someone ask you know do you believe in global warming and I it took me back a little bit because it was the first time in 27 years that I've had that and but I think that it's such a politicized concept at least in the United States um, that I wasn't I guess I shouldn't have been surprised so what did you say or how did you handle it? um said it wasn't really a belief system and that i went back to the fact that there's a lot of evidence that we see and can read about and have collected and we are able to make predictions and models and that's one of the topics or one of the skills that students are hopefully going to get a go away with from the classroom learning how to have models and use models to make predictions well, I can't resist mentioning, though, when, you, when we get those questions from left field, especially with these formative minds, we can always put it back and say, well, what, what are you asking? What, would you, what, um, what, what do you think of first? And then, I mean, just give them, put it back on them. Oh, sure. Well, I, actually, I put did. Put them to make them work a little harder. No, I did. I did. They throw wanted that to, missile they, at you. Yeah, they wanted to know if it was, if I believed human impact had. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so they were, they, there was a, a specific question in mind. Oh. Okay. So, that's the vault. Yeah, Lisa, did you uh, want to say something about your what's going on in your classroom? Since we can't be in there. Um, now, you, I wanted to go actually go back just a little Do. bit about what you were asking about how, what we are teaching in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And in middle school, a lot of times it's not about the content. Uh, so even though we're using concepts and ideas to guide what we're doing... Uh, we're actually teaching these kids other things. We're teaching them skills. Um, we're teaching them how to be better writers. We're teaching them how to apply math. Um, we're teaching them how to be scientifically literate. And to do that, we have to teach them about evidence, um, which is something that has never really been a part. We're really stressing it these days. On your own, or does it say something like that in the California standards? It, it's, one of Petra. The, it's one of the science and engineering practices, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of NGSS, is argument. Meaning? So, for those so evidence-based argument. NGSS. NGSS, Next Generation Science Standards. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You said that in f full form. There's the <laughs> shorthand. Okay, good. Thank yes. you. And so, but arguing from evidence is is one of the science and engineering practices mm -hmm. that is stressed. Um, there's seven. That's one that we, and we as a team have kind of decided that that's something that we really wanted to focus on because we want, one of our goals is disciplinary literacy. So being scientifically literate, being able to look at 
read a news article and dissect it and say, is this, you know, is the study that they're quoting, is this good, good data? Is it valid data? Is it, is it really evidence or is it just something that, you know, is convenient to put in as, as um, a form of reference? So we want them to be able to, to really um, look discernly at material that's being presented in front of them. So think like a scientist would. Mm-hmm. And Linda? just just to add to that, yes. we kind of did a school-wide um, goal setting for all the teachers that we would go with this model called claim evidence reasoning, which is uh, pretty much what Petra was just explaining. <clears throat> and so that way, the students are starting to have to, it's fine to say what your claim is, but what is your evidence? And is your evidence adequate? Is it valid? Oh, okay. And making them look a little bit more at what are your sources. And then the final step is the reasoning. Does your reasoning, you know, tie together all the evidence that you have provided to support that claim of climate change or evolution or whatever topic you wanted to choose? And so they have a harder time with that. So, yeah, they have to consider the, the sources, right. which sl- should slow everything down. And the reasoning, because yeah. sometimes the evidence they provide really doesn't support the claim. And so it's, and teaching them the difference between evidence and opinion. And you, there's 32 bodies that are going, they're processing adolescent, or puberty, I should say. And so this is like a really big cognitive exercise to say, okay, stay with me, you know, work with me, kids, and, and figure out how to get into those nuances that, that the media certainly isn't interested in keeping their end of the bargain up. But it's also a new way for them to learn because so much of what education has been too is looking for the right answer and worrying about am I right am I doing this right and now they have to slow down take a look at what they're doing because just because their evidence and their results are slightly different than the lab station the lab group next to them doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong or the other person is right as they we're trying to teach them to look at their evidence and figure out well why is it different not oh it's I'm right and they're wrong or they're wrong and I'm right so it's a different way of thinking and it's hard for them because they just want to know what's the right answer yeah they've been working on that system a long time yes very much so well is this an opportunity for you to acknowledge them as proto-adults and say well you know we're all going to be working on this this is tough stuff and this is worthy stuff and it's a way to sort of honor their maturation help them along and acknowledge that and they do feel very passionately about things so they get excited about topics that they and they do love to argue so this is this is a good opportunity for them i said they're middle school of course they love to argue (laughs) and they also they also appreciate that their voice is being heard in all of this because as a teacher we're stepping back and we're allowing them to do the talking and we're allowing them to do the discovery and we're allowing them to do the arguing and owning it they're owning it and we're finding out that this is really working out well as a teaching tool too oh wonderful that must feel pretty darn good yeah so let's uh we're talking a bit about what's taking place in the classroom. What for the climate skeptics? There are some. Now, how did you mention Petra? The question you were given, sort of like a like a checklist. What kind of educator are you? Sure. But how did the three of you? How has it been presented? Because you were t- 
Lisa and Linda told me in May, it's happening. There, there's pushback with climate science in the classroom. So how has that been presenting itself? There are children who will come up to us after class and say, um, I'm having a problem with this. This is what I believe. Um, believe, that's the word. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'll have children raise their hand and say, this doesn't make any sense. I think that. And they'll just say something that's that at some times is almost like a heckle. Oh, in the class. It's in a the class. It's a disruption to it, the curriculum. Yes. The presentation. Um, I have to say, though, there are a lot of kids when something is brought up like, oh, this could be controversial. They have no idea why it could be controversial. So there really there's a few of them out there, but the few of them out there are very um, they're noisy. They're noisy. So like a percentage of the classroom, one percent of the class. Uh, now we say something an average of 32 students, but so maybe three or four or how many? There is at least one in every classroom. So I would say this year I'm going to have probably four to five very strong against um, what I'm teaching, strongly against. So do their peers find this is a, an opportunity to hone their skills? <laughs> opportunity knocking? I had Linda? one. I had one last year, and I don't know if it was uh, all the political atmosphere that was going on last year. It was a very sort of a charged environment that that was sort of bringing out more of those kinds of issues. But I had one student who was very vocal on multiple days, and then that student was sort of bothering the student next to this person. And I got an email from the parent saying, "Please, can you move?" this other student away the student which is the parent the, the parent, parent of the receiving end the of receiving the receiving end yes of was not appreciating the constant under the breath comments and and but you were aware of it oh yes but uh, you were there's nothing you were doing at the moment or you were trying different things right exactly like and what so i i let the the parent know that it was fine to move i would be more than happy to then i spoke to the student that it's it's fine to have differences of opinions but other students, you know, may not want to hear that nonstop, and that was not being respectful to that student. So sometimes students don't quite know the boundary lines of how far to take their opinions. And they, as Lisa said, they can be quite vocal. Yeah. So, and I'm thinking it, it's in the form of questioning you outright or just sort of yes. gesturing and little utterances <laughs> and sort mm -hmm. of uh, stares and all. I mean, they're, they're probably, it's like mm -hmm. a little little microaggression right and and the oddest one was I had a substitute last year the students told me this one that the substitute even though we weren't talking about climate change it wasn't in the lesson plan she brought it up as and said it was a hoax oh man. and she needed to get the word out so that was you know did you let the district know I that? did I did I was very surprised then did you, how did the district handle that? I don't know what they did, if they pulled her off the sub list or ha what happened as an outcome. But the students were a little shocked that she brought it up because it had nothing to do with what we were studying at the time. Wow. That's a little scarier world than I thought <laughs> out there. Wow. It's like ready for bear there. Oh. And uh, some. Uh, there, I'm sure there's more anecdotes about how it's the materials well, approached. Well, being an eighth grade teacher, just the nature of my curriculum hasn't really lent itself as to as, I guess, opened itself 
to criticism. I'm, I'm teaching force emotion. You can't deny gravity. <laughs> it's just, and I think as we're getting, as we'll be moving into the new standards and having to look at human impact as, again, as a culminating um, event on our environment, I, I'm hoping that having experienced, you know, going, going through Lisa's classes and Linda's classes, that they'll be coming to me with, um, I, I guess, a greater understanding. That's at least my hope. And because I honestly have not felt as much probably resistance. Okay. It's a different it's, experience it just, at eighth grade level. Yeah, I think so. And it's, and I think it's also just because of the topics that, that, that I was covering. I, I'm physics and chemistry. So we're pretty cut and dry. Lisa? Um, I'm trying to remember what year An Inconvenient Truth came out. Mm -hmm. And when that came out, uh, Linda and I both at the time were uh, teaching seventh grade together, mm -hmm. and we showed that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was part of a standard that we felt and that that movie covered it. And we actually got emails and phone calls mm -hmm. from parents yes. at that time uh, saying that they did not want us, they did not want their children to see that. And I'm, I'm forgetting exactly what, but we shut it down and we did not show it for the remainder of the year. So we kind of, at that time, not wanting to have any parent pushback because it's, you know, nobody wants to take those phone calls. Administration doesn't want to take those phone calls. That came it, out and I don't blame them. 2006 is when mm -hmm. it came out. Okay. Right. Um, and I don't blame, so it's been 11 years mm -hmm. since we've been actually talking about climate change in the classroom. And um, it's a little bit, yeah, I, I think now it's going to be a little bit easier because there is this, the kids are wondering about the current hurricanes. There is more being talked about on TV. Um, I think that their curiosity is up, but for those, but for those kids who are um, part of families who are deniers, um, their their defenses are going to be up a lot stronger this year too. So I think this year we're probably going to have a at the end of this year we're going to have a lot more stories to tell. You think it may have happened well before then? Oh, it could happen next week. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Wow. So you deal in abstract and more discrete things in all of these evidence-based sort of processes and things like that. So does this, let's say this summer, this all of the, the extreme events, there's the hurricanes, intensities, the fires in the entire West Coast, and the heat waves. I'm, I'm just wondering. And the, and the cold snaps mm -hmm. in the middle of summer. Right. Yeah, the cold snaps or the, the mm -hmm. lack of a cold enough right. winter season. I mean, are... You're always working with abstractions and more concrete kinds of concepts. So how does that help deal with the issue of accepting science that's accepted everywhere else in the world? <laughs> what, I, what I think is really interesting is the, one of our, our goals is to get students to create models of concepts. And when I talk about models, I'm not talking about um, you know, stick figures and dioramas. We're, we're, we're talking about a model that they can use to predict events that are going to happen. And one thing that if, if they're watching TV right now, they're seeing models being used 
especially the weather, anything having to oh, do with weather. Oh, social media. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're seeing the models that are talking about the spaghetti models mm -hmm. and the different models from different parts of the, the, the world. And I just think it's really interesting that we can use these models to make these predictions about what's going to happen with our, with our weather. We used models to predict the eclipse that happened yeah. last month. Right. Oh. And we can't see it happening. We couldn't. We couldn't see it coming. But we had all these predictions, and so we, we were certain. We knew that eclipse was going to happen. Knew. Where and how long? Absolutely. We and, knew all that. So. And and but then when we start talking about climate change, and what our future holds if we don't do something, it's it's astounding to me that we will get that pushback of mm -hmm. I don't believe it. Probably one of my most favorite pieces that I showed this the students Linda. last year was from National Geographic and they have a map of the world, it's beautiful, that shows if all the ice melts, what will happen to the sea levels and what will happen to the coastlines of all the countries of the world. And I showed it to them and they were shocked. Several students said, can I take a picture of it? I want to show my parents. Okay. So, and, you know, if you've seen Al Gore has a new movie out, and he, they talk a lot about that, of island nations vanishing and, you know, all the different places of the world that are experiencing saltwater intrusions, affecting flooding. Uh, um, they're talking about Syria, that maybe even the drought precipitated some of the crisis there. Oh, yeah, it's almost a certainty, but and, yeah. But that map, that map of the world is is quite an interesting piece because I don't know how you could look at that and not see, wow, that's going to really change things. And so I think we have to really work on making sure they get exposed to good pieces of evidence. And hopefully you're slowly, you know, building that up for the ones that are very much have their heels dug in about the denial. So let's talk about what's going on in the classroom. So you have students that majority of them they were they're distracted by the ones that are noisy as lisa mentioned them they're so distracted by hormones too let's face the, it. I, that's, I, I <laughs> let's did, just face it you I, know? I, I tipped a hand of that yes i, I uh, earlier but um so how are they handling that those kinds of quaint opinions do they do they step in that they want to test their little argumentation skills out or do they they uh, what's going on there there some of them are they're, they're bonded with some they know they're mm -hmm. friends some of them or maybe they're not maybe they've stopped being friends I don't know but what's going on in there in the socialization of your classrooms well I think it probably depends on the student that's speaking you know some students have more clout more pull so if it's students that they maybe relate to it might you know make it easier or not easy to um, okay. to listen to it um, and it's I, I really think last year was an unusual year at least for me I had so many more students vocal. And again, I How don't many? know. How many? What percentage? I would say, you know, like I, I would say three or four in a class, perhaps some more and some less. And I, again, I don't know if it was related to what was going on. There was so much in the news about all kinds of was issues. Was a campaign and then a new president and, that and was breaking lots of they were very fired up. Of, you know, the, the, uh, the students felt very strongly about uh, what was going on in the election cycle. So I'm sure that probably fired it up. Okay. Anybody else? I, I was just going to agree Petra. with Linda that that I just think for our country it is climate change is just it has become politicized, where in other countries it's not. It it's it's seen as this is 
happening and we must mitigate what's happening and we must do something about it. But for our country, it's the legislation, it's the deregulation. It, it's just become a, such a polarizing topic. And it's interesting for science to be polarized because we're supposed to be one of the most objective <laughs> uh, courses, you know, studies. It's just we're, we should be objective about this. And it's, it's disappointing. Lisa? Well, hopefully um, in our science classrooms as we're teaching them science concepts and teaching them how to look at evidence and all of that stuff, hopefully they'll grow up and they'll become politicians and we'll have more science Science well, people as politicians. I, Eugenie Scott works with some of these national science educa- National Center for Science Education. All she, her, big thing is evolution and creationism. And mm-hmm. in a publication of hers, I'll I'll try to find that for everybody listening and and participating in this interview here, is that she said it's it it can be maybe drawn back to the kind of frontier mentality. Everything in this country was built from the ground up. It's from scratch. So it's a sort of like fend for yourself. You create it on your own. And that rugged individualism is sort of like moving its way into interpreting what's a, what's real and what isn't real. What's, you know, you're right. entitled to your mm-hmm. own opinion, even mm-hmm. if it's an objective science thing. And I, I mm-hmm. thought that was really, right. really interesting. Students also, what I found were uh, they were when they were looking at data, and you would try to show them data from climate, you know, from 800,000 years ago, from ice core samples or something of that sort. They question that. They they think that you know it's only data that we've collected recently, and it's just normal cycling, and that's kind of the line that they will um, sort of snap back with. It's just the normal cycle of the sun and and things like that. So. It's not very well thought out, their evidence for what they're saying, unfortunately. So that's where we have to um, help them with that, I think, with the thinking. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Real People of Orange County. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, taking over for Kimberly today. And my guests are three esteemed middle school veteran science teachers, Lisa Tita, Petra Johnson, and Linda Whitmore from a a campus in the Rancho Santa Margarita unincorporated area. And we're talking about how the students are questioning, they're pushing back on a a small number, but an, an adamant number of students pushing back on climate science curriculum. And I, I wanna find out too, is there a kind of an, I mean, we're adults, we're in our, we're, we're it's, you know, it's their world. They're going to take the world uh, over from us. We're, we're not here all as much longer, but, but so how do you as teachers present material that's pretty darn daunting for somebody to, if they, if they put, connect all the dots, it doesn't look very good. So what do you as teachers, how do you, you adapt your pedagogy to you're recognizing them as thinking proto-adults, but the picture looks grim. So that's a, that's a big exercise for you to pull off. Linda? I think they get excited about new technology that could be coming along to improve some of the situations that they're always asking, well, well how do we capture carbon? What can we do to you know, change the outcome of what's going to happen? And I tell them a lot, you know, um, 
again, you know, as we're saying, we're, we're all getting older, and I, I almost feel guilty as an adult that we're passing this on oh, we all feel to that, that, that next generation. I have grandchildren. I would like them to, to live in a world that's, you know, as, as beautiful as the world that I came into. And so I think you can't just give them sort of a very negative view, doomsday scenarios. I think it's hope, you know, giving them hope for solutions of things that we can do, things that we can change. Um, in Al Gore's new film, I found it very inspiring when he was talking about the Paris Accord and how they were working with all the countries, including India, to try to convince them to not go cold, you know, go solar. So it's not, I don't, I think you can't teach it as it's just horrible and it's all, you know, nothing we can do. I think we have to go that solution route. And these are bright, creative students and who knows what they'll be coming up with for solutions. So are, you're appealing to the entrepreneurial yes. twitch that's live and well in Orange County. And they do. They, they always come up with amazing ideas. So um, I think that's a good approach, too. Okay. Ladies, I want to hear from everybody about that. Yeah. Well, Lisa? they are middle school students, and so they have no sense of mortality. So they're back to puberty. It's yeah, <laughs> puberty is right now. They're not going to believe that there's a doomsday situation out there because that's not part of how their brain works right now. Um, I like how Linda said we are at looking towards solutions with these kids. We do a in sixth grade. Another fellow teacher does a project where she has them do a a city, and within that city, what kind of technology would you do? to help mitigate uh, carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases. And so for a good two weeks solid, maybe even longer, uh, these students of hers are actually working on solutions uh, that, that cities can come up with. And these kids are very creative. Mm -hmm. Okay, Petra, now they're in the eighth grade. Well, they're, they're closer to maturity, <laughs> uh, one would hope. Uh, maybe less. Maybe <laughs> they, maybe they've dropped. They're, down. No, they're ready for high school. Yeah. But I think I think partly what why we see some resistance it, is the parents do want to protect their kids. They don't want them to have this sense of dread and this sense of doom about what their future might hold. And so I think you know part of the denial that we have or experience might be because of that. But the knowledge is power and knowing what's what could happen and what might happen. And again, that that hope that someone in your class has the the, the questioning and the inspiration and the spark of of ideas. And, mm -hmm. and it's, I think it's the kids who question the kids who tinker and and build are the ones and make mistakes and, and break make, and break and, things and yeah. learn from those mistakes and and are are willing to accept those mistakes and pick up and and try again at something i think those are the kids that are that are going to save us they're going to save save our world mm -hmm. it's my hope yeah <laughs> lisa it could actually be the the child who is questioning climate change right now the kid that's mm -hmm. heckling us in the classroom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm could be the person who is going to be coming up with some solutions. So as teachers, we also don't want to squash those kids mm -hmm. that are asking these questions. Because they're it, owning it now. Right. They're, on, they're in the topic. Yeah, they we, are owning maybe. it. Maybe. It may be kind of ditto head talk, but it, some of them are. You can't immediately mm -hmm. say that it's a bad thing. You have to be able to accept it, maybe use it as a teachable moment, and maybe just go, well, thank goodness this kid's actually thinking about it. 
Right. It's and it's those kids that do raise those questions that bring that bring the, up the topic. So it almost allows us to spring spring off of that and continue the conversation, because if the conversation doesn't continue, if no one's talking Oops. about it, yeah, there it's there is no solution. Mm-hmm. So it has to be talked about. It doesn't have to be combative. It it's it is what Lisa said. Maybe the that kid who and you also have kids who just question everything, no matter what. And those are the ones that keep you on your toes mm-hmm. in the classroom. Those are the ones who kind of can actually steer your conversation to a greater depth because they're wanting to know more and more. So there's hope, lots of it. So the vaccinations, um, that's a like left field skepticism, <laughs> but do you have a grasp of, is, is, has that ever come up in the science classes? Oh yes, definitely. And so have Many they times. resolved, <laughs> have they resolved up. that now or are they, are, or that's still... Well, it's still the it's jury's cha- out. I think it's changed a little bit because California changed its policy on yep. vaccination. So uh, before, when you could uh, opt out with just signing the back of that form, I think it, you know the parents that were the non-vaccinators were very vocal if it was brought up. And in the old science curriculum that Lisa and I taught, it came up with viruses, and it was the word was even bold-faced in their science text. But you do get parents that are Um, concerned because they don't want their child thinking that they didn't service them properly by not vaccinating them. So you do get some parents that are very upset that it's even being mentioned in school. So back to the curriculum, are there sorts of consumerist choices that you relate the science to, what what, what they buy? Hmm. How, what they're, they're running their cars running their phones inside the cars dieseling away or is it do, can you can you go to that leap oh absolutely i just it's there was a good it's a question that i hadn't really thought of because a lot of what we do we've taught so long that it's second nature to us so just thinking about why we're teaching it the way we are i have to pause for a moment and think about what you just asked because again it's we have done it for so long that that some of this just comes second nature to us Well, you've got company. I I noticed with the leading edge, the R&D park has a particular enterprise over there. And every workshop I go to, it's like stacks of styrofoam dishware. And and nobody's thinking through. I'm just sort of, I won't use them. I'll I'll figure out, I'll use something else. I'll use a substitution or something like that. But anyway, I just didn't know if that's, that you leap off from there. Well, it's interesting. Um, my, um, My daughter works in a different district and they've gone solar. And um, she Where's was just that? in Torrance Unified. Uh, uh, okay. And in she LA was just County. telling me that they uh, they profited, I think, was one hundred and seventy five thousand um, in the plus for their electric bills because of switching over to solar, which would be a great way for kids to kind of see how, you know, the benefits of of that. And I know some schools are very big with recycling and. Uh, yeah, I like doing, the solar uh-huh. better. Recycling is mm-hmm. still, there's a lot of manufacturing going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And no promise yes, of definitely. actual mm-hmm. repurposing. Right. So is that going to come up in anybody's class that Torrance is, is uh, I don't know, flipping their is, utility bills? It would be really interesting. And they, they made them as um, sort of shade covers for the parking. Oh, yeah. The parking. Right, right. I used so, to use those. And then they have it around the athletic fields. So actually, it's turned out to be handy in multiple ways. But it would be nice because with the hotter climate, we're having to run our air conditioning and we're starting school in August. 
So I'm sure their air conditioning bills are quite high. I think I would actually be curious to find out how many of our students' homes are solar mm -hmm. and the reason why. I'd just be curious if they actually, if, if it was just for money or if they're really trying to do something for the environment. Mm -hmm. I, I'd, be, I'd just be curious about that. So there's a lot of questions. So I'm wondering, you know, this this week is this week is pretty dramatic, and next week's going to be dramatic, and mm -hmm. we don't know what drama we're in mm -hmm. for because I I know this this hurricane season lasts until November. Maybe yes. they're going to be longer right. with climate change, but there may be a compelling movement in the classroom to start mm -hmm. talking about that chapter that's supposed to show up in that late April. It's going to happen in September and October, and that's okay. That's okay that... That's what a good teacher yeah. can do, is mm -hmm. shuffle Absolute, that around. Absolutely. You go where the interest lies, and, and you figure out how to, how to teach the skills that you need to teach, but keep their interest. And if the, if the hurricanes and the fires and whatever else... <laughs> heaven forbid we have an earthquake, but we, you know, there's big talk now making sure we're earthquake prepared. Mm -hmm. So The only have, redeeming part, mm -hmm. I guess. Now, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, people's awareness yeah. about how and long the, they and the last. students were very intrigued with Harvey about should they have evacuated and and the discussions about that whereas you're looking at the current situation with Florida and how they are trying to evacuate and so they're and they're asking why was there so much flooding with Harvey and so now they're looking at you know land use and um, those kinds of uh, situations in Houston that grew so rapidly there was no um, green space for that water to sort of drain away and so it brings up a lot of great topics and they're going to learn about peroxide needing mm -hmm. to be stored right. and so you're right. going to get to do all that chemistry in your class that's Linda. right that's the fun <laughs> stuff well i don't know because I, I i don't think it'd be very fun to be moving around my neighborhood waist deep in in yeah. a super fun no. site no, not at all but it you know getting their interest with the chemistry and <laughs> no seriously but you know, I have I have relatives that were affected by the hurricane. So I and I've talked about that with the kids. And so it doesn't necessarily have to connect directly to your curriculum to bring these topics up and have the discussion. It's never it's never a bad thing. And for the first Linda. time, I've actually heard positive things about climate change. You know, students are muttering, you know, thanks, climate change when they're talking about hurricanes. Now, that's a first that I've actually heard more students becoming vocal about you know, this is an issue. So this very vivid, mm -hmm. right, with hard real time mm -hmm. situation. Well, there's, there's, it's a queue. It's looking like an airport, like right. incoming hurricane. Next, uh, that one lands, and then right. another one's going to land here in another three or four right. days. And they were shocked at Irma. All the statistics on Irma of this. Well, they should be. You know, and then students asked, "Well, how warm is the water in the Caribbean?" And you know, it's it is shockingly high. I think eighty seven, eighty eight degrees, something like that. So the in, I'm just wondering if you're in your integrate. I don't want to try to step on, you know, a planning book toes here. But <laughs> so if there's a social science colleague that can work with you, you can talk about evacuations and urban settlement patterns and where you know there's only so much. So there's a certain carrying capacity to evacuate everybody mm -hmm. and and that kind of a thing. So there there might be some more modeling you can do with the your colleagues' classrooms to work all this thing through well and even even it ties to something as as simple as fire drills which they don't really enjoy doing of course they but don't. they but we were talking about how all of this is practice for mm -hmm. 
real events and why, you know, we need to do certain things uh, to prepare for just common things that can happen in their daily lives. Well, ladies, this is a moment I've been waiting for for about four months. I'm so glad that you were all able that they they came to us folks directly from that. They had to have their bell ring a little earlier than usual this Thursday (laughs) afternoon. So Lisa Tita, Petra Johnson and Linda Whitmore, ladies from the middle school and outside of Rancho Santa Margarita. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, and we're going to go out with a couple of interstitials. This is a fave of mine. Science! Doing science. Doing science. Doing science. Making things and breaking things. Doing science. Doing science. Doing science. Making things and breaking things down. Well, it's summer's over, kids. That's what the Army of Freshmen had to say back after the Aquabats. If you heard what you liked today, amazingly, on uh, September 16, you can dive further into the topic with the local chapter of the Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, featuring guest speaker Glenn Branch, Deputy Director of the National Science Center for Education. He's out of Oakland. Doors open at 115 at Irvine Ranch Water Management District. Room, community room at 15500 Sand Canyon. You can call 714-299-4551, and Steph Campbell will take your questions. And it's a really fine form. I can vouch for what they get done over there. And one more thing, if you want to be a real person of Orange County yourself, review your emergency supplies, do Lucy Jones and your family proud. Thanks for listening. Marie Stone will be taking over the helm with Real People of Orange County next week. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And I don't want too much. Summer's over.